Well, praise the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to our God. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of John. The message this morning is don't use God's grace as an excuse for sin. Don't use God's grace as an excuse for sin. You know, today we're going to be talking a bit about excuses and some of the excuses of sin. But here's a couple excuses for things I thought were kind of interesting, so I'd like to share them with you. And let me just share. This comes from Benjamin Weber in Cincinnati, Ohio. He says this. When our new hire didn't show up for work, I called her. She explained that her mother had passed away and that she would need a few days off for bereavement. And of course, I said yes. A week went by and she still hadn't returned to work. So I called again and this time she said she had good news and bad news. The good news was as her mother had come back to life. The bad news was is that she was sick again, so she had to stay home with her. And this one comes from Leo Amadon, and he says, working on an oil rig in North Dakota during the winter weeks weeds out the riffraff. One day, one of my workers told me he had to go home to get a warmer coat. He was gone for a few days before finally calling to tell me he was home. Home, by the way, was in nice, sunny Texas. And there's, this one has no author cited, but it says, I had someone call into work saying that they were going to be late. Why? because they were at home sleeping, but dreamed they were at work, so they didn't realize that they had to get up. (laughs) Figured that one would get a laugh. The Gospel of John was written between the uh, 90 AD and 100 AD, and scholars also believe that John wrote three epistles from the, the book of Revelation around the same time as he wrote this Gospel. The gospel was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been started and circulated amongst the churches. And so John's gospel has been dubbed by most scholars as the spiritual gospel. They were looking for something more than what had been written. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? And this they said, testing him. But they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he had not heard. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has not one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin 
no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for those that are able to be here, for those that are on the web watching live, for those that are catching up, for those that are just listening to the podcast. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the different ways that we can spread the gospel today. Lord, we also pray for those that are not here, that are not in our midst that normally are. We ask that you would heal them and bring them back to our fellowship, that we may rejoice with them. Lord, for those that you're calling to this place, we thank you. And we ask that you would call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we pray for those that are next to us and those that maybe aren't next to us yet, but you are bringing them. Lord, we pray for the workers of the harvest, for you said the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So, Lord, we ask that you would send the workers, Lord. And we praise you for all things in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. And the church said, Amen. Amen. That's right. We will be tested, but don't, let, <clears throat> but don't let it or anything else be an excuse for sin. There's all kinds of excuses out there to take advantage of sin, but don't follow them. Number one, you're going to be tested by others, and you're going to be tested, period. John 8, 1 through 6 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So here Jesus is done teaching at the temple and he moves to the Mount of Olives. Well, the next day, early in the morning, the Pharisees brings him an adulteress to judge. And now we know that Jesus knew their heart and knew their silly little games in their heads. And so they set him up for failure. If he had said to stone her, then they would accuse him of being heartless lacking in empathy, with no mercy. And if he had said not to stone her, then he would be guilty of not following the law of Moses. So in typical Jesus fashion, he comes up with a third option. He stoops down to the ground and starts writing. And many people have speculated what he actually wrote on the ground. We don't know. It's not given to us. But in reality, we, we may never know. Even in heaven, why would we care? We'll be with Jesus. Some have speculated that it was their names. Others say that it was a list of their sins. And maybe it was both. Again, we may never know. One thing is for certain, there are evil people out there who mean to do the Christian harm by accusing us of things that we never did nor ever said. They'll accuse us falsely and even at times for things we actually said or did. For example, you'll be accused for being a bigot. Because you said, for example, that homosexuality is a sin. And like all sin, it will separate you from God. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we do say it is sin, and just like any other sin, it is a sin. <clears throat> it is a sin, and sin is a slap in the face of God. Today, however, 
you will be called all kinds of things for saying that. Even the early prophets and the Christians had this problem. Look at Matthew 5.11, it'll be on your screen. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Acts 6.8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. And none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. And so they persecuted some men to lie about, or they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And this roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Well, Stephen was one such saint that was falsely accused. Even, and I didn't read all of it, but even to the point of being the first Christian martyr. Yes, they stoned him. And he's the first one recorded in the scriptures. You see, these men caused people to accuse him of blasphemy. And in so doing, they secured his fate. They knew what was going to happen to him. They didn't care. So what should our response be when this happens to us? Notice I said when it happens and not if it happens. It will happen if you've been a Christian longer than three minutes. Because if you're living for Christ, mark my words, if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. And probably sooner than you think. Luke 21.14 says, So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. So folks, you will be tested. Well, what is our response? What should it be? Don't give up on God and give in to sin. You see, a lot of people, when they're tested, they'll just, ah, forget it. But they will, they'll just give up. If you're a Christian, don't give up on God and give in to sin. John 8, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus is writing on the ground. And they continue to ask him. And we have a good southern word for that. That's called pestering him. So he stands up and he says, If you got no sin, then you go ahead and you cast that stone. 
And then he continues to write on the ground. So being convicted in their own consciences, everyone decides to leave. Why did the oldest start to leave the first? Because the longer you've been on this earth, the more sin you can rack up. So their conscience was pricked before the others. And they left. And Jesus asks where her accusers are. And anyone left to accuse her? And she answers, hey, no one. But here's the key. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. In today's day and age, we're, we're good about the forgiveness part for the most part. We, we, we forget about the go and sin no, po- no more part of that scripture. We're good about forgiveness. We're good about mercy. But we forget about going and sinning no more. Stop doing that thing that hurts God's heart. Stop it. Romans 5.20 says God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as sin continues to abound, it becomes more and more, God's grace becomes more and more to destroy that sin, to get rid of it, to cleanse it, to forgive it, to make it as far as the east is from the west. Continuing, it says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Is that an excuse for us to sin? Because his grace is there to get rid of it. Well, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument to evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You see, we've got it all wrong. In our society, sin is shown to us as fun. It's the thing to do. 
But let me tell you something. We don't need that kind of thing in our lives. We don't need that kind of fun in our lives because the world's fun always comes with an end and a cost. Galatians 6, 7 tells us, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Hebrews 11.25 tells us he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs there's a way that seems right unto man but the end thereof is death. Sin's pleasures are fleeting. Don't fall prey to its beguiling. Matthew 7.13 tells us this. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, we live in Florida, and how many people know this used to be a lot of oranges in Florida? And there's still quite a bit, but not as much as there was. There was a lot of orange groves, but when you have a frost, boy, it turns that tree bad. And every orange it ever produces will be bad. We understand that. It looks good. But take a bite of it and it ain't so good. Got to be careful with that. The scripture says you will know the fruit or the end result. That's what the fruit is. It's the end result of a choice or action by what it produces. The end result of a fruit is a choice. Does it produce righteousness? That is living right before God. You know, we say the word righteousness and we get this heavenly minded thing and we go, oh, oh, ye righteous. That's not what righteousness is. It's living right before God on a daily basis. Does it produce the opposite? Does it produce sin? Does it produce bitterness? Does it produce evil? Sin in your life, whether it's done against you or, or you're committing it, it may look like it's causing no harm to anyone. But I guarantee the end result is something you're not going to be happy with. Look at the broken homes we have today. Who pays the price for that? Guess what? You do. And if there are children involved, they do. It may not have been your fault. It may have been the other person's fault. But you're reaping the consequences either way, aren't you? It's not right. It's not good. But it is what it is. And that's why God's grace abounds so much. Rely on God's grace. You know, sometimes even living that righteous life, we're left with, why did this happen to me, Lord? And after, this, after what I've heard has been your week, 
Why did that happen to them, Lord? Why? You know, there's another person in the book of Genesis that always did the right thing. And he ended up in slavery and then prison. But what was the end result of his righteousness before God? He became second to no one but the Pharaoh of the land of Egypt. God raised him up. Just like at the second coming of the Lord, the righteous will be raised up for all eternity to rule and to reign with him. Our job is not not to give up, no matter what the situations we find ourselves in, even to the point of death. One day, the redeemed will rise up for all eternity. Matthew 7 says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Don't give up on God. Don't give in to sin. If you remember nothing today, remember this. We will be tested. We will be tempted too. Don't let it or anything else be an excuse for sin. You see... Lord, if if that person hadn't done thus and such, I wouldn't have done thus and such. That harkens back to the book of Genesis when Adam said, Lord, it wasn't me, it was the woman you gave me. Lord, it wasn't me, it was her fault. And beyond that, you're the one who gave her to me, so it's your fault. Blaming 